Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a very special Christmas broadcast of Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue and I'm an author and an old self-human. Joining me is cookbook writer and the owner of a small hen empire, Ella Risbridger. Hi. Hi. It's the Christmas special. Christmas special. Thank you for joining me for the Christmas special. I'm gonna. We're in your. Um, I was gonna say thank you for joining me in my house. <laughs> in your living room, where yes, I have brought the dog because I feel like we can't do a kitchen table broadcast without She's not got her nose on presents. the laptop. She has her nose on the laptop right now. Um, so tell tell the lovely people out there in Garbage Land what we're doing today. <laughs> While I open this Prosecco. What we're doing today is we're going to drink this Prosecco once yeah. Caroline's opened it, mm-hmm. which I hope she does with a thematic pop. And we're going to talk to you about the Mitford sisters and the novels and various writings of, brackets, most of, close brackets, the Mitford sisters. <laughs> oh, hang on. I think it's coming. Oh, lovely. God, resty, merry gentlemen. And not a drop of overspill. Did you, did you clap that? Did you clap that? Did you see that? Listeners, she opened it with panache. <laughs> so I was thinking for a while that I should do like a Christmas episode for this. And I kind of didn't know what to do because like, I can't really, I couldn't really think of a lot of books that I truly, first of all, I knew I wanted to do it with you because you are like the, the unofficial kind of aunt of the pod. That's true. You know, I am. Maiden aunt of the pod. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm already drunk it's and, and you're already pissed which is good um, uh, cheers babe cheers happy Christmas happy Christmas and to you and kind listeners <laughs> to you kind listeners um, because uh, like one of, we've got lots of like piles of Mitford books in front of us some of them are like biographies some of them are collected letters novels etc., memoirs that kind of thing um and a lot of them were given to each other as Christmas presents, which yeah, is really sweet. Yeah, I was counting. I think there's 11 books about the Mitford in this room right now. Yeah. Oh, no, 12. There's a little sneaky little uh, Ons and Rebels. Yeah, little, little sneaky slim little, penguin classic. Slim penguin classic. And like literally, I'm just picking up um, like the Mitford's Letters Between Six Sisters, which is a compilation of all the correspondence. And it says here, just December 14th. Ella, I desperately wanted to keep this. You jammy bitch. Love you. It's just like... <laughs> because of like... Because we have been friends for so long and because every Christmas is punctuated by something Mitford adjacent, um, they've become very synonymous with Christmas for me, I think. I think there's also something very Christmassy about that sense of the English country house, isn't there? I think yeah. without wanting to get too academic about it, I think a great deal of the way we talk about in, about Christmas, particularly in this country. And mm. I think... I think the idea of an English country Christmas mm. is very burnt into how people think about it. Yeah. Like, oh, the snow and the ice skating and the roaring fire and the family all gathered round, which is, like, 
guess in a sense, particularly what Nancy, but also Decker and a bit Debo are writing around and against is yeah. that idea of the aristocratic. It's so English true. And it, there's the, you're so. I was thinking that today because. Um, I always seem to find myself, as soon as it becomes like Advent, I am curled up, I am rereading Love in a Cold Climate, Pursuit of Happiness, The Letter is Whatever. And it's because there's so much, there's so much being cold, which is very Christmas, and there's so much having to spend too much time with your family. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Making up stupid games, but also resenting, there's so much hate and love and private jokes and games that goes on. And games that no one else can understand. Like, you know, it's the bit in Ons and Rebels where they talk about playing... I think it's called Hair Here Your Commencement, where you just <laughs> have to cause each other pain and the first person to cry out is the loser. And another game which they call Slowly Wearing Away, where you take the hand of a grown-up who is doing like something else and you just slowly start <laughs> rubbing your nail harder and harder along their skin until they notice and are angry. I mean, like, I know all of the sisters write about how they weren't allowed to go to school and how dreadful that was, but it's hard to know whether it's chicken or the egg. It's like, should these children have been allowed out or was because they were never allowed out the reason they were so fucking weird? (laughs) But then, I don't know, I think a lot about that bit in Pursuit of Love where... I mean, are you, are you going to do like a summary of the Mitfords? I was actually going to ask people... you because you introduced me to the Mitfords and I want you to explain to people who don't know who they are exactly who they are. The Mitfords are, were, they're all now dead. I was going to say rest in peace, but it felt oddly formal. They are my friends. Or they, are, my yeah, friends. they are, they're friends. They're, they're, I feel about them like family in that I am deeply ashamed of some of them. Yeah. And I am very Correct. mad about a lot of their behaviour and a lot of it I just think, well, Jesus, don't don't look at me. I didn't do it. I'm not yeah. a Nazi. Or the thing is, the Nazi feels like it feels like a low blow. But we'll get to my feelings on. Yeah, we've we've got a lot of we thought very long and hard about Nazism and throughout the Mitfords. But go on, continue. But just the generally terrible things, I feel very bad about. But also their family. I've been reading these books for so long, and the, obviously I have a lot of sisters myself. I feel obviously a deep kinship with books about sisters, mm. but it's more than that. It's this particular kind of quite chaotic. Mm. The Mitfords are six sisters, one brother. No one really knows or cares about the brother. Mm. He's, is... up there, he's up there with Bramwell Bronte. Is just being oh, like... he's truly a Bramwell. Yeah. You know, they all liked him a lot, but he was always at school and then he was dead in a war, which is the function mm. of men in the past. And importantly, so these were all... these were They were the daughters of a peer. And what's his full name again? Um... Lord Lord Reisdale. Reisdale. Lord Reisdale. I was trying to think his first name. Uh, David Ogilvy Freeman Mitford. Of course, of course we didn't fucking remember it. Um, But, um, and they lived in this big sort of country house um, and, yeah, so the the one son was sent away to school but they were very, very protective and quite Victorian over the raising of their daughters which is why they were all sort of stuck in this house for so long. Essentially. So, got six sisters. Nancy Mitford, who everyone's heard of, who wrote Pursuit of Love and Love in a Cold Climate and other books. Very funny, famous wit. Then you have Pam, who Caroline once said in a fan casting of who should play which Mitford sister, Pam should be played by a broom. I think this is unfair. This was during a crueler period in my life. I have now found much to enjoy in Pam, in the lack of Pam there is on the page. She but makes soup, on. you know. She makes soup <laughs> she and She makes soup dogs. and she looks after people. She looks after people. She takes Diana's babies. You see, we have a lot of feelings about these people. Yeah. In a way, it feels very weird to try and introduce people. It's like trying to introduce people to my family. 
being like, this is my sister. She's yeah. fantastic, but awful. Yeah, it's very There that. was one time where we didn't speak, but also I love her. It's very that, yeah. And and then next down the line we have Diana. Diana who the who, back of the letter says, the fascist who was jailed. <laughs> Which the fascist is true, who was jailed. But she was also a great beauty. Yeah. She was married very young and then she ran away for love. And, you know, if you fell in love with a mad fascist, well, no, you wouldn't, would you? But, but if it was 1933 and you were extremely bored, you know, who knows what you'd do? I think this is the thing. Yeah, we have to be extremely careful and circumspect because neither of us want to be cancelled before Christmas. No, you can't But you can't also, we are talking about six sisters, all of whom are steeped in right-wing ideology because that was the aristocracy in the 20s and 30s. Mm. You know, like last last week, the week before, the Tories unveiled a statue to Lady Astor who said that she hoped Hitler sorted out the Jew problem and everyone's just like, mm-hmm. Lady Astor. Yeah. First Lady MP, which is a lie because of... So it's it's like this Constance it's this Margaret. consistent problem because yeah exactly thank you thank you lovely ally to the Irish people because the first female MP was indeed Constance Markiewicz look it up people um, there's a great song about it too there's a great song I wrote it sell of our own <laughs> um, uh, yeah but the, there is this kind of this ongoing battle with like uh, wanting to glorify the aristocracy of the particularly the early 20th century because it's that period of like glamour and the roaring 20s and like flappers little dresses with beads on yeah and it's like and I think as well there is such a a trend and a love of like just taking women from the past who have done anything that's um, subversive and we be stand like, a history queen we stand a history queen and being like oh rebel girls from history I mean like every other day you see Margaret Thatcher being included in some kind of like female role model book and it's like you can't just iron out women from the past as being good or bad you know what I mean so we often talk about as I think most people who graduated from the toast and the hairpin the toast was a was a popular American humour site R.I.P. R.I.P. which started off saying that their aim was to be the kind of site where you could force rank the infant sisters mm. and other things. I think most people who have read that kind of thing will eventually come to the which Mitford sister are you? Yeah. Internal Ms. Magazine quiz. Yes. All women are running some kind of Ms. Magazine quiz in their heads at all times. Like last time, not last time, but one of the times you've been on the podcast, we talked about which wife of Henry VIII are you? And I think I was going to make the same point that I'm, same point now as I made then, which is these conversations always come back to you and I saying, it's almost as if these six women, not all women can be sorted into the archetypes of six women who happened to be in the past. Yeah. And who really lived. Like, I think the deepest we ever got in on that was one time I was sleeping over in your house and we played which Midford sister is which Henry VIII wife. <laughs> A classic game. A classic game. But anyway, sorry, we, we anyway, are um, digressing. So, Diana, the fascist and great beauty. Unity. Friend of Hitler. Friend of Hitler. We can't beat around the bush. We can't... Deep friend of Hitler, who then shot herself in the head. And was very disabled in ways that I personally find extremely distressing. But I think we will try and talk about it in a little bit, because yeah. I think it's interesting. And I also think it's important to not just say, the glamorous Midford sisters, without thinking about the ways we would look at them in contemporary society. Mm. Um, then you get Decker, everyone's favourite, secretly the worst. <laughs> I love how we both resent Decker so much. She's a communist, but she's also a family abandoner. And then she's kind of a bitch to pe- to her sisters 
even when they do deserve it, they do deserve it. No one's saying they don't deserve it. Mm. But also, there's a sanctimoniousness there that I think I certainly have been uh, capable of myself in mm-hmm. returning to my family. Like, uh, you don't understand. I actually live in London now. And in London, we are woke. It's very that. Because um, Decca, or Jessica, was the um, she ran away at 16. She um, ended up in America. She became a celebrated writer. And then she was put on the blacklist for you know, being involved with the Communist Party. Red list. Oh, the red, the red, you know, they, they, <laughs> the red list were blacklisted. It's, all, it's never good to be on a list in America. That's the thing. Um, what a sentence. And, uh, and so th- she very much gets, she gets a very loving lens placed on her, I think, because she did amazing things. Like she wrote um, uh, this amazing book about the American funeral complex that really pissed off uh, undertakers because she thought they were, she was, rin- they were rinsing the American public. Which they were. Which they were. And, and the American prison system. Yeah. She wrote a book about that, which is... She was a really smart writer, and her husband was very, very smart researcher. Let's talk about that later as well. Yeah. Do you see now why it's so hard for me to try and explain? Because to they're so complex, and we've spent so much time talking about them. It feels like listeners to this podcast are coming in halfway through a conversation that we've been having for six yeah. years, which I think makes us a very interesting podcast. And I hope that we're not too annoying. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is the Christmas podcast, so people are going to be hiding from their families. You know, taking the dog for its 15th walk of the day, they'll be glad for any new content. So you can just put up with it, guys. God, you know, <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this on Christmas Day. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. My mother listens to this podcast. She's a big fan of Caroline. Um, I'm a big fan of your mother. Happy Christmas, Mum. And then at the very end, we have Debo, who is... The a young, duchess. A duchess who, who like, marries really well. Doesn't she marries for anyone. love. She, marries she doesn't for- think she's going to be a duchess. She marries a younger son. Oh, she does. That's right. She doesn't. Billy, Billy, the older brother, is killed in the war, and then they have to be a duchess. And you know, it's hard sometimes when you just suddenly have to become a duchess. I know. We can all relate. Oh, especially when you're like the kind of overlooked sort of youngest baby, who's everyone's like, oh, she's a bit sweet and a bit of an idiot, and then becomes like this incredibly important duchess with so many jewels, and she's just always, and she's all, she never stops being like little Debo, like she's always just like trying to keep the peace all the time. Yeah, like I mean, she's the only uncancellable Mitford. Oh, okay, maybe she is. <laughs> Ellen just made a face. <laughs> I just think it's a big claim in this, the year of our Lord, 2019, to claim that anybody, particularly an aristocrat, is uncancellable. Fair, that's absolutely fair enough. I, I But she wrote assumed. a very, very good book called Wait For Me, which you think is going to be kind of memoiry, gossipy bit trashy and it kind of is but it has these incredibly moving chapters in about her husband's alcoholism and the loss of her children so she had I think three children who died as babies as in sort of hours old Mm. and she writes unbelievingly movingly and tactfully and carefully about that in a way that I really wasn't expecting from an aristocracy Mm. memoir and the thing is like they were all like oh with the exception of um unity and pam who didn't really commit themselves to that um they were all incredible writers yeah like diana was a wonderful writer she did a lot of like essays and criticism i don't know really anything about diana's writing which i should say is not uh i should say now is not because of a principled stand i just haven't really come across any of her writing yeah i felt the need to say that in case people were like oh well done ella you've never read any of the fascist writing it's like no i've read a lot of i've read like ezra pound you know yeah so I just wanted to be clear that it's not out of any... Well, well, well done on your 
My honesty. Yeah, yes. Honesty and transparency. The podcasting world thanks you. <laughs> On your willingness to rework by Nazis. Um, <laughs> I should say, I just this is irrelevant, but Caroline's wearing a hat with a veil. I am. Oh, the dog, the dog's trying to play the guitar! <laughs> I thought she was being quiet, uncharacteristically. Um, just so licking Tasha's guitar. <laughs> this is like all... These are all like the facts of these women's lives. And I feel like that's a... a, a, a by the way, well done, the introduction. I thought that was a really good potted history of the, the Mitford sisters. History. Um, but um, I, I would like to... I think the, the book that people would be the most familiar with would be Nancy Mitford, It's the Pursuit of Love. And I think it's a, it's a novel, but it's like, you know, widely known to be um, quite autobiographical and about the sort of chaotic young family life. And like, she there's this lovely bit I've always really liked that I'd like to read from. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, this bit is about, um, so it's told from the perspective of Fanny, who is a sort of a, a cousin and a regular visitor to this household that is clearly, you know, um, the Mitford household. Her tears forgotten as if they had never been, Linda rushed into the house with Labby at her heels. The Radlets were always either on a peak of happiness or drowning in black waters of despair. Their emotions were no ordinary plane. They loved or they loathed. They laughed or they cried. They lived in a world of superlatives. Their life with Uncle Matthew was a sort of perpetual Tom Tiddler's ground. They went as far as they dared, sometimes very far indeed, while sometimes, for no apparent reason, he would pounce almost before they had crossed the boundary. Had they been poor children, they would probably have been removed from their roaring, raging, whacking papa and sent to an approved home, or indeed, he himself would have been removed from them and sent to prison for refusing to educate them. Nature, however, provides provides her own remedies, and no doubt the Radlets have enough of Uncle Matthew in them to enable them to weather storms in where ordinary children like me would have lost their nerve completely. What do you think of that? <laughs> what do you think of that? Um, I think that most truly successful books work because you find something of yourself in there. Yeah. And in a move that will not surprise you, Caroline, my dearest friend, I see a lot of myself in this, either on the peak of happiness or trembling in the pits of despair. Mm-hmm. For me, my whole life is one of, this is the greatest day that anyone has ever been alive, the sun is shining and I have eaten two eggs. <laughs> or... Or like, oh, I've had a difficult phone call. I hate the earth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've, I've had to do a spreadsheet and therefore I think suicide is my only option. How can I go on with the great shame of having slightly made an error on my spreadsheet? Yeah. Even if Fanny, the narrator of The Pursuit of Love, is distant, Nancy is not distant. Nancy yeah. is in the heart of it. And the descriptions of hunting, particularly, like not just those... So, hunting, fox hunting, but also the child hunts where they yeah. get the dogs to come after them and all the villagers are outraged. Yeah. And it's like the most fun they have all year is when Uncle Matthew slash... Chases them with the horses and the dogs. Yeah. Which does sound fun. It sounds so fun. It sounds like great exercise. And it's so interesting because I've read so many, like, um, I'm sorry, but overly literal American bloggers who read this and, like, interpret it as child abuse. And it's like, they don't understand. No, they run across the countryside holding a scent for the dogs, and then the dogs follow them. Yeah, yeah. It's very much a game. The dogs and horses try and catch them up, and they try and trick the dogs and horses. Yeah. And when they catch them, they go home. Yeah. No one is getting eaten. No one's getting eaten. Except or... foxes in fox hunting, which is a contentious subject that doesn't has no place on this podcast. No. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think... Um, 
I, well, I've read a lot of people who've like sort of willfully misunderstood a lot of the very, the very obviously very strange unorthodox parenting of the the Mitford family as being like abusive, dramatic, and da da da. And I'm not sure if it is, or I'm not sure any of the Mitford girls felt that way about it. I think a it was a different time, mm-hmm. and b the pursuit of love is a novel. Ons and Rebels is a memoir. Which was wildly disputed by everybody else who had that childhood. Mm-hmm. Wait, so, so Ons and Rebels, what was disputed in Ons and so Rebels? So Ons and Rebels is Jessica right. Mitford's autobiography of her childhood. I think it takes her up to maybe her 20s. Mm-hmm. But the other sisters were often cro- were kind of vocally cross about things. Yeah. And, and these were sisters who like... And bear in mind that, like, Nancy was writing books since, like, her early 20s and they loved them. They loved the way... Like, even, like, um, uh, Redsdale, like, he loved Uncle Matthew and it was even his obituary and they used to, like, this lovely um, descriptions of them sort of sitting around listening to Nancy read out loud from Wings on the Green, her first book, out of, like, an old copy book, an old essay book, and, like, them just screaming, laughing at all the people they could recognise. So these were people who could take a joke about themselves. Do you know what I mean? But I think that's the difference, isn't it, between here is a fictionalised cartoon version of our lives and Ons and Rebels, which is very much, to me, feels written with an eye on an international audience. Yeah. As an author... Which is not a sentence I've ever said before. I'm As an author! Not one I will ever say again as a billionaire (laughs) (laughs) my sister has just started a new job as a copywriter in an advertising agency and on her second week she was complaining to someone about something and said I a copywriter (laughs) I a a copywriter and I feel very much like that about as an author I love that I was just trying these things on and being like nope that didn't come out right (laughs) but as a writer Mm -hmm. that's fine we're all happy with that yeah that worked as a writer who is selling... My book, Midnight Chicken, is very English. I've been told this over and over oh, and yeah. over again. It is English. It is written in a very English tradition of writing. It has been very interesting to read American responses to that performed mm. Englishness. And I do feel, particularly when I give interviews to American media, that I am performing a particular kind of Englishness. Yes. A particular kind of quirky quirky well off but no real money Englishness like yeah which is the kind of childhood I had right of having not a lot of cash but never really wanting for anything you know my clothes mm. were mostly hand-me-downs out of a big black bag from the church hall yeah there are, there are shades of Mitford in there there are certainly shades of Mitford in that I had a lot of sisters we ran fairly wild we were outdoors a lot we had you know there was always dogs around and mm. you know ponies and riding and sure playing the piano and singing, all that sort of thing. But I find myself playing it up in ways that... I find it myself playing it up when I talk to Americans. Mm. In the same... And I feel a certain kind of like, I see you, Decca Milford. I see you yes. playing what people want. That's so interesting. Because this... I do it myself. Not consciously, really. But elements of my childhood I would never think to emphasise in conversation with... Other English people. Other English people, or people, in fact, who I wasn't trying to sell anything to. Yeah. But when I'm trying to sell a version of myself, mm. which you kind of have to as a writer in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Right? In any age, I would think, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It probably feels particularly acute now because you're always being told, like, what's your brand? What's your this, mm. that and the other? Mm. 
I see myself emphasising very English quirk aspects of my life, yeah. which I wouldn't necessarily do. And that's how I feel when I read Hans and Rebels. Like, I see you, Decker. That's very interesting. I see you doing it. You're playing yeah, you, the game. You can see you're hamping things, like hamming things up for, like, to sort of appall people a little bit. Although it's not, the whole book isn't like, let me shock you, let me shock you. Like, there's some incredibly, like, smart and very affectionate writing in there. Um, Particularly, and I, I don't know if we'll talk about this later, but I do want to talk about Debo and Decker talking about unity. Yeah. Go on, talk about it now. Oh, spotlight on me. Who, <laughs> me? Spotlight on me, Um, Because I think there is some really remarkable writing. For me, the most remarkable bits of Mitford writing mm. are Debo and Decker talking about, particularly Decker, but also Debo to an extent, talking about their sisters who had taken political positions mm. that they either found entirely intolerable, in the case of Decker, or at least politically into- politically unwise to be associated with in the co- Yeah. Because there was a lot of, of political splitting between them. Well, yeah, you, so there's this... I think it comes from Debo's book, but it might be in one of the others as well. There's this anecdote about Decker, the communist, and Unity, the Nazi, sharing a bedroom, and yeah. one half of the room being decorated with a sickle and with a hammer and sickle, and one half being directed decorated with a swastika which feels very mad now but let's remember it was the 20s and the nazis had not done anything that anyone regarded as particularly um they had done some rubbish things but not anything where you're like you know let's be clear what we're talking about the holocaust had not happened yet Mm -hmm. which doesn't excuse that it happened later (laughs) it's so easy to tie yourself in knots when you're talking about the nazis in the 20s right because you'd hope that any human would read what they were saying and be like, absolutely not. I will never be associated with that. But, but pays me I, to so admit this that- is what I, why I think it's like really important because it's really hard to talk about um, unity and Diana in a way that is like thoughtful, compassionate, um, reviews their entire characters as sisters, wives, women, uh, people who are mentally ill, like etc. All all the many things that people are. And also people who, in Diana's case, very much involved in the fascist, fascist party. Uh, in Unity's case, very much involved in the Nazi party. Because I think it's hard to talk about them without sounding like you're sympathising with these people. But also, I think it's really important, particularly in this era that we're in right now, where more and more people are converting to right-wing causes, they are becoming radicalised, they do see the appeal of these parties to understand the shades and variations within people who become right-wing, who become ultimately like extremely right-wing. Um, because if you don't recognise these traits, if you don't recognise these feelings and political parties when they are budding, it means you completely miss them once they are in full flower. Yes, and I think that's really important. I think, I think we have all met young people, cousins or like a friend of a sibling or someone you have come into or come into contact with on Twitter or similar who is a young person who is like espousing right wing views and you're just like you don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah. You don't yeah. understand why you're doing this. That's where Nazis come from. They come from little Nazis. They come from teeny Nazis. <laughs> teeny yeah. Nazis who don't understand that being like Wow, Brexit. 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know if... Does Sentimental Garbage have a political position? <laughs> uh, the political position is vote Labour. And if you didn't vote Labour, uh, then fuck you. Well, that's why we're fucked. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, 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 no. No, no. We're recording this before the election. I'm having some more Prosecco. I okay, thought let's of it. top us all up. Um, I'm sorry. But I'm partic- sorry. Particularly when you think of in the context of... So, um, so long as the official position is vote vote Labour... Vote yeah. Labour, suck it up and vote Labour. Suck it up and vote Labour. Um, chin chin. Um, but yeah, so, but I think when you review it all in the context of... Look, so the the Mitbirds, they were obsessed, and you can read this in every single one of their books, and every recounts of their childhoods, which was extremely strange, and very isolated and alienated from other society. Um, they were obsessed with clubs. They were constantly making clubs with each other. They had the, the Hans, the counter Hans. They had Boodleage, which was um, their own like form of language that De- Decca and Unity created together. They had all these sort of like... They were obsessed with two things, which was clubs and meeting new people. <laughs> and you can really see how fascism, Nazism and socialism, which, you know, um, Diana... Unity and Decca all became extremely involved in. You can see how, like, the you know, meeting new people, having lots of very specific rules about things, having, like, you know, colours and symbols that you can, like, nail to you and stuff. Like, you can see how they fell into it. It makes total sense to me. It makes sense to me as one of a lot of sisters as well. Yeah. Oh, you're doing this? Well, I'm doing this. You know? It's like, here is my club. It's actually bigger than your club. And this is not, I would like to stress now, meant to excuse anyone no. from joining the Nazi party which let's be clear is an extreme reaction to having a lot of sisters <laughs> I myself never never so you much as scratched a, scratched a swastika with a diamond into a window <laughs> I've but no it's that but it is that thing of like of um oh you've got a swastika I've got a hammer and sickle kind of thing and like it, it just it, it just kind of makes a kind of a sense with these sisters but and also the sense that it's not quite real so I've just while we've been talking, just flicking through Ons and Rebels, and um, can I just read a bit now? Is yeah, that, please do. Is that all right? Um, so, Bood, which is what Bood, yeah, yeah. Bood is what Decker and Unity call each other. They have a private language, just the two of them: the Nazi and the Communist. Mm-hmm. Their whole childhood, they speak to each other, and mostly only to each other in their own private twin language. Mm-hmm. They call each other Bood, the same name for both of them. And I think this is... Oh, God, get a psychologist on this. Yeah. But Bood and I both avoided the company of the grown-ups at this time as much as we could. At Swinbrook, we lived in our bedroom except for mealtimes. We divided it down the middle, and Bood decorated her side with fascist insignia of all kinds, the Italian fasces, a bundle of sticks bound with rope, photographs of Mussolini framed in passepartout, Photographs of Mosley trying to look like Mussolini, a new German swastika, a record collection of Nazi and Italian youth songs. My side was fixed up with my communist library, a small bust of Lenin purchased for a shilling in a second-hand shop, a file of daily workers. Sometimes we would barricade with chairs and staged pitch battles, throwing books and records until Nanny came to tell us to stop the noise. Yet Bood and I often teamed up together against the grown-ups in our own very peculiar version of the United Front. Once we were left in charge of my mother's produce stall at the Conservative Fate. Look at all this money, I said to Boone. It does seem a shame to think of the beastly old Conservatives getting it all. I think I'll send about five pounds of it to the Daily Worker for their fund drive. Boone insisted that she was going to take, shilling for shilling, an equal amount for the British Union of Fascists. 
There wasn't time for an argument about it, as my mother was expected back any minute. Quickly we pocketed five pounds apiece, which we dispatched that night to the respective offices. I've often thought, I've often wondered since what the daily worker must, people must have thought when they read the note accompanying the contribution. Five pounds donation from the annual conservative fate of Oxfordshire. And I think for me that is the most telling passage about the extreme political views hmm. of these sisters. Two daughters of a peer throwing things at each other from either side of their bedrooms. Yeah. Being like, oh, well, we'll take the money off mummy and we'll give five pounds to the yeah. fascists and five pounds to the socialist worker. And obviously, obviously as a person with quite left-wing views, I'm like, well, it's good to take money off the conservatives and give it to the daily worker. But, you know, Lenin did some bad stuff. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So it's very interesting. So even, um, even I've watched a documentary on Decca semi-recently and um, her son was interviewed and what he said, he said it was very interesting. He was like, you know, people love my mother and hate her sisters. Um, specifically Diana and Unity. So he's like, but, he's like, but my mother was as fanatical about communism, about Lenin, um, as her sisters were about Nazis and fascism. And people, people forget the purges. People forget the millions of people who died um, under the communist regime. No, and, no. It, and, and, it, and it's still because I think people still eh. sorry and the dog's on top of Ella I'm trying to talk about communism you could have jumped on me at any point when I was being frivolous Sylv you're being a narc communism Sylv it wasn't as, wasn't all it's cracked up to be yeah, yeah so I, I think because people eh, have become be very like for good reasons very taken with socialism and communism again um, it's, a for, idea, oh, it's a great idea it's a great idea but like they forget that like millions of people in Russia died, you know? Millions! Um, but that is, you know, we could say... The thing is, what's so interesting about the Mitford sisters is that you can't talk about them without also talking about, like, sociopolitics of the entire 20th century and also how they compare to the politics of now and how fucking similar they are, you know? Yeah, and that's incredibly frightening. Yeah. And... I actually think they give us quite a good lens. You know, there is an argument to be made for, like, why are we talking about the Mifids again? Why are we so obsessed with the aristocracy of the past? But actually, I think they do give us a very good lens to look at why people turn yeah. to extreme politics. Yeah. And it's not always, as, you know, many, many editorials would have us believe, it's not always they were so poor and desperate that they had turned to Trump because there was nothing else. Yeah, of course that exists. Of course, that's part of it. Yeah. But there are also a lot of people for whom it's kind of more complicated or, as in this case, two very rich, privileged women being like, well, if, yeah. if you want to be a socialist, I'm going to join the Nazis and we're going to throw things at each other from either side of the room. And what's important to point out, what um, people who don't know, who don't know the family as well as you and I do... <laughs> Darling, my God. Darling. It's not that they joined these parties they were highly influential members of these parties like yeah. so um diana she left her husband brian guinness of the guinness drink <laughs> brian guinness. heard of it <laughs> mr guinness <laughs> mr guinness himself um yeah she she married him when she was 18 became like one of the wealthiest young brides in the fucking country um kind of lost her head for a while just like buying things and going to parties had two babies had two babies, but like from all kind of writing about people observing her during that time, became quite like 
distant and sort of like, I, I think she was a bit like, oh, there's nothing left to want. And then she meets Oswald Mosley, who was the leader of the fascist party in Britain, and, and just fall, who was married, who and falls completely in love with him, leaves her husband, takes her children, um, and just throws it all in for a man who still has a wife, and they don't end up married until the wife dies. Yeah, he doesn't leave his wife. No. She's just like, it's a very... And like, it's... It's not a good look to compare yourself to a known fascist on your own podcast, but like... But please, go ahead. I've literally done that. <laughs> I literally, like, had a wonderful relationship that I thought was very happy, and then met the love of my life, and jacked it all in without telling him about it, and then showed up and said, I've jacked it all in without telling you about it. <laughs> very much the energy of Jonathan Safran Foer leaving his wife for Natalie Portman, <laughs> and explaining it to Natalie Portman I first. Am- I am Jonathan Safran for except it worked out. <laughs> because Gavin's before still you, around. Before nice. we air this, can you just check it was indeed Jonathan Safran It was. Don't worry, it was. Great. Oh, because he wrote the book about being vegan and she was like, I enjoyed your book. And he was like, yes, I'll leave my wife, Natalie P. <laughs> that was Lovely. the rumour. I do not know any of these people personally. Please don't sue the podcast. <laughs> I've got no money. Um, yeah, and like, what's... To, stay, to stick on Diana for a bit... Um, Especially, like, it's really interesting because the, um, as with all big families and, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest of four, you're the oldest of four, there is, there's always a big half and a little half. Silv's an only one. Silv's an only child. Um, there's all, yeah, in all big families there's always a big half and a little half. Big two, little two. Big two, little two. What do you call them in your house? Did you have a, did you have a name, like? I think my mum kind of refers to me and Rob, um, I am, I am 30 in May, he is 31 as the babies. (laughs) We call my sisters the babies. My yeah. sisters are like near twenty and nearly twenty and twenty-one. Yeah. So what's fascinating is that like so, so Diana's part of the big three and a Unity, Decca, and Debo are the little three. And um, interestingly, so were uh, the Romanov sisters, big pair and the little pair. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Sisters, they're always so interesting. <laughs> um, Can we the- start a new podcast where we just talk about how? 
so to stick on Diana for a little while, um, one of the things I really like about the Midrace is because it, it's so it's so true to what big families are like in that there's always the big half and the little half. You know, my my I'm the youngest of four. Me and my brother Rob are always called the babies by my mum, and then like there's my I am the oldest of four. Yeah, we are the me and my next sister are the big two, and I was about to forget and the little two and the, the little, little two. two the little two are both at university one of them worked in the city for a yeah. while they're both independent adults with their own lives but that dynamic never changes but they're the babies yeah and you see it throughout like even the letter collection that is between six sisters throughout their whole lives that dynamic remains it's so interesting but like what's really cool is that so you have Nancy and Diana and to a lesser extent Pam um, they kind of they kind of cut a machete through the long grass of like their father and his discipline and like you know Nancy brings home all these like aesthetes and artists and Diana goes and gets married and the little ones they kind of watch all this and then it kind of primes the runway for them you know uh, and so then you get like Decca Decca in particular look, looking at Diana and Diana just seems like this dream of an older sister like she is the most famous beauty of her generation. She marries, like, Brian Guinness and makes her one of the wealthiest women in the country. And then she's, like, oh, she's so young and she loves her family so much that she just, like, sends them jewellery and, like, silk pillowcases and all these, like, beautiful things. And you just get all these, like, letters from the younger sisters to Diana just being like, oh, my God, you're the best sister ever. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you just, like, you can really see it, you know? I could, like, my sister's 10 years older than me and, like, I could... I could imagine myself at that age, like, being so taken in by that. And, like, then seeing that gradual thing of, like, then Diana runs off from Brian and she becomes the pariah and nobody speaks to her for a long time. And it's just um, really interesting to see these women through the eyes of their little sisters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was just looking at the Midford letters and just feeling... Moved and fond of my sisters, and... Do you want to read one of them? The thing about the letters is the number of nicknames, and I think we should talk about that, because... Yeah. It's really interesting. It's really interesting yeah. to look at your own family and the ways you address each other. And I think now the equivalent would be, how do you save your siblings in your phone? Hmm. And how do you text your siblings? What's your WhatsApp group called, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like all these... I, it makes me feel slightly odd about reading these letters, even though I know they've been prepared for publication by the family. Mm. When I think about the the emotional impact of these nicknames for these people who, in some cases, were fairly influential in the world. Unity, influenced on Hitler. Diana, influence on Mosley. Decker, friend of Maya Angelou, and in the com- big in the communists. Mm. Debo. Did, did, did the cover of Bang Bang Maxwell Silver Hammer. Which we should play to close this episode out. If that's, we have the technology. Why have I folded down this one? But hang on, to, to go back to nicknames. Mm. What it does give you is the sense when you're reading it of intimacy and you lose sight of the fact that these were kind of influential people. Yeah. Like, so they always call Mosley Tom or Kid. Mm. Why again? Tom was what he was known as yeah. to his friends, which... Weird. I guess it's like Boris, isn't it? Yeah. Being called Alexander. Is that his name? 
God, our, depending on the depending on the election, our current or former prime minister Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, the thing is, I I was about to say I wish we could stop talking about the election, but actually, it's incredibly pressing. It's yeah. incredibly hard. You cannot talk about the Mitfords without talking about the political climate of the time, and how similar it is. How to similar the one that we it is to now. now, and that's not very Christmas. Seeing it's. Imp- I feel like also the other thing that makes it Christmas is like a Christmas. Christmas is the time for having a political argument with someone you love. <laughs> Christmas is the time for but, someone you love to say for no reason something completely untenable about politics. I was going to get specific, and I decided against it for reasons reasons of wisdom. Mm. Um, the Mitfords are. The reason they're Christmassy is because it's being with your family in a small space and some of them having political opinions where you're like, how can you think that? And you so think, true. in your heart, are you just doing it to wind me up? Are you saying this because I am in London? I live yeah. in London. Are you expressing this terrible view because you think it will make me cross and in some senses that will be fun for you oh God, and then we will get through the next two hours that. of Christmas? Because that thing of... Well, if you're going to put a hammer and sickle, I'm going to put a swastika. But it goes on for their entire lives. That's Christmas. And they never stop. Well, they do go through like periods of not speaking to one another. But it's never like permanent. Do you know what I mean? It's only it's permanent like, with unity. And yeah. That's brain injuries for you. <laughs> that's brain injuries for you. But like there's like, I think, um, it's just true that like Nancy informed the government on her own sister, on Diana. Yeah. And like... Which I can't imagine doing I don't know what my sisters would have to do yeah. if I believed they were a danger to the country would I go to the government but I'm going to admit it here and now probably not you get the sense though that because like and there's this great bit in um, Ons and Rebels where like uh, Decca is talking about all her favourite siblings and she's like uh, Nancy was fun but she was so she could turn on you in an instant which meant that she couldn't be your favourite sister and I was like, oh yeah, that's th- and that's that taken to its natural nth degree is her informing the government on you, probably just to amuse herself. <laughs> and I think, if in some sense, in some senses, the Mitfords are a caricature of all families. Yeah. And that's what makes them so compulsively readable, apart mm. from obviously they're glamorous and famous. Yeah. The Kardashians of the past. The Kardashians of the past, yeah. A lot of complex things. Do they behave correctly? No. Do you want to read about them? Yes. Absolutely. Do you and want to look endlessly at photographs of them? Of course you do. Anyone who says they're not interested... I mean, look, I'm pro- no, there are probably people who aren't interested in reading about large families of sisters having complicated relationships, but I am not one of them. I can't imagine what it must be like in your heads. Simple, I guess. Zen. Full of folded underwear. Just ironed. <laughs> <laughs> so clean and pure. Grey and white. It's funny, you were talking about... um. Uh, the nicknames in the book and like this has to be one of the few books that begins lots of books begin with an index of characters and very few uh, begin with an index of nicknames ooh let's do a quiz ask me a nickname oh my god okay I'm gonna ask you um, okay I'll start with an easy one this would suck if I get it wrong if I get it wrong just edit it out okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, the woman woo our wounds bam that is Pam. Why? And extra points if you can say why. Because she is the woman. She is very womanly. She is, has nothing, no trouble. She just likes to cook and have a house and horses and have a husband who was so horrible to her that when she got pregnant, this is extremely, extremely distressing, trigger warning, 
he was just make her go driving very fast or have hot baths and she was sad all the time and her husband was horrible and I hate him I have such a deep resentment to Pam's husband because I think actually it is Pam's dedication to her husband that means that we don't remember Pam as being interesting yeah because she was just like, yeah, I'm not getting divorced from this horrible man. Whereas all the rest of them were just like, and, there's that. and then I burned it to the ground. Oh yeah, and they, they then I shot my husband as soon as look at you. Yeah. Then I left. Then I left my extremely rich and expensive husband and went to live with an older fascist. Or and then I left. Then I ran away and uh, married my cousin. Yeah. yeah. Very much fight or flight. All the rest of the mythos. Whereas like, Pam is, I go and I stay. Yeah, I do the right thing. I am stability. Yeah. Pam is not a broom. Pam is not a broom. I feel bad about how I've treated Pam in the past, but I now understand that we need we need that great. It's like it's like when I was talking about the movie Knives Out earlier on and the central performance um the character I can't remember the actress's name, but um her name the character's name is Marta and she gives a very grounded, very emotional um, quite serious performance in what is otherwise a very campy film full of outsized characters who are doing mad things and it's like but it makes the movie makes sense because of Marta do you know what I mean? yeah fully the and mi- that's the same the mi- makes sense because of Pam yeah um, next one uh, Bobo Unity I don't even know why she's called Bobo Stupid short for short for boot I think okay um, okay this is, this is a difficult one Fat Friend Prince. Oh. No, I thought it was Prince Charles. Um, You're in the right ballpark. Who? Who is it? It is John F. Kennedy. (laughs) Otherwise known as Fat Friend. (laughs) It is devastating to me how many very influential people are just like... Well, it's like the Queen Mother is cake, I want to say. Is she? Yeah. Yeah, she is. The Queen Mother is called cake. That is absolutely mad. And it's not like these are code names. These are just nicknames they have for yeah. them among themselves to make their letters more funny. Ugh, they just love their bloody letters. And what's the... um? Ugh, we should probably think of wrapping this up, but there's just so much to say. But um, let's keep talking and you can always get it out. But, um... Oh, I do want to read... I know that you said that you did make an excellent point when you said um, that... The reason the Midfords are Christmas is because there's nothing more Christmas than having vastly different political ideologies to your family, but loving them anyway, you know? Um, but, but there the thing is, is, even if you have quite... So my family and I are all tend to be quite left-wing, but we can still make a good family argument about the direction of the Labour Party. You know? Oh, yeah, no, so, like, I... Family is intrinsic on having a thing that's just like, how could you think that? How could you... I am correct because of the way I live now. I, I honestly think the sociological function of family gatherings is so that people can say their worst thought in a safe environment so and, and also have the added bonus of pissing off the people they love to piss off most. So, like, my dad will say something absolutely fucking mad. Like, he'll say something like, I mean, not this, but, like, should women even be allowed to drive or, or something? And he doesn't believe it, but he some there's some like dark like part of his mind that kind of enjoys dwelling on it and likes seeing his children being shocked by it. Do you know what I mean? Like he he's not an idiot, he knows exactly what he's doing, you know? Yeah, I mean I think all families do it. And obviously I don't think I do it, but if you were to ask my sisters, I think they would be like Ugh, she's so woke on purpose. She's just always saying, oh, we really shouldn't say that. 
could we think about how other people... Oh, to- like my entire family think I'm just I'm a complete virtue-singling, pinko, London lefty. and Mad commie. Mad, yeah, absolutely. As we all know, you love money. <laughs> I do love money. If anyone has them, send it my way. <laughs> <laughs> um... I'm going to sense uh, do a little Christmas reading. Have yourself a A merry merry little little mid fruit. This is also from The Pursuit of Love because I couldn't take all of my mid fruit books from my house to your house because I have only so many hands. Christmas Day was spent, as usual, at Alkenley, between alternate bursts of sunshine and showers. I put, as children can, the disturbing news about Aunt Emily out of my mind and concentrated upon enjoyment. At about six o'clock, Linda and I unstruck, unstuck our sleepy eyes and started on our stockings. Our real presents came later, at breakfast and on the tree, but the stockings were a wonderful hors d'oeuvre and full of treasures. Presently, Jessie came in and started selling us things out of hers. Jessie only cared about money, because she was saving up to run away. She carried her post office book about with her everywhere and always knew, to a farthing, what she had got. This was then translated by a miracle of determination, as Jessie was very bad at sums, into so many days in a bed-sitting room. How are you getting on, Jessie? My third London and a month and two days and an hour and a half in a bed-sitter with basin and breakfast. <laughs> Where the other meals would come from was left to the imagination. Jessie studied advertisements of bed-sitters in the Times every morning. The cheapest she had found so far was in Clapham. So eager was she for cash that she would transform her dream into reality and, no one, and one could be certain of picking up a few bargains about Christmas and her birthday. Jessie at this time was eight. <laughs> and that's obviously a substitute for Decca, who who does did have a running away fund. And, and sold her own appendix. And sold her own appendix to her own sister. Which is the most sibling transaction of all time. I used to sell things to my sisters. I don't know if I did. I don't know if I had any no, I was a baby, nothing to sell. Oh yeah. god, we used to sell things to my sister all the time. She was great for money. <laughs> Constantly being like, hey Flossie, do you want to buy um do you wanna buy this? Leg of a teddy bear. Yeah. It's really fantastic. Or the worst of all, like, I'll be your slave for a day and then just never do it. I mean, I used to play a game called The Princess and Her Slaves, where I was a princess. And they were the slaves. <laughs> it was a Can game. I be the princess? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you are slaveys. You are only slaves. Um, and then I just want to... Because like, then, then, like, Decca doesn't run away. She runs away with Edward Romilly when she's 16 and then she doesn't really live in England again for many, many years. And um, She doesn't ever live in England again. Oh, she, yeah, she, you're right. She, she, she moves to Rotherhithe, of all places. A thing that is yeah. baffling. Her live... old house was near my old house. There is no blue plaque there and I wrote an email asking for one. Did you? I did and no one responded because no one gives a fuck about putting blue plaques up in Rotherhithe. You think they would? It's getting quite fancy. Mm. Only West London. West London has the more blue packs than anywhere else in the country. I want a blue pack. But anyway. Um, yeah, when Decker runs away, I know I've just done a reading, but I need to read something else. Okay. <laughs> I haven't done any. Okay, no, I'll, I'll make you read this because I know what, you're, what it is. So, I know you're going to be really good at reading this. Um, I... I can't bear it. I can't bear... I bet. Do you know what it is? If it's the thing you wrote a song about, then yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, to, to add to this, Caroline, notice podcast host and owner of podcast, Caroline Donahue, <laughs> has got half of a secret album written about the Midfords. I do. I really do. I wrote a song on it. 
about Unity Mitford, which I have some complex moral feelings about, but also I'm very proud of it as a, as a song. All I want is to make enough money so I can vanity produce a studio album about the Mitfords and then you can all hear it. Um, we thought about singing some of the songs for you, but that we decided it was too much and you would think we were losing. This is already a lot as it is. This is probably going to be about an hour and a half of Christmas podcast. No, no, you're going to edit it down so that we're, we're snappy and sleek. Sure. I'm snappy. <laughs> I'm snappy and only a little bit drunk. Yeah. Um, but so the thing that is the most um, affecting about the letters from Six Sisters is the fact that you start the book and it's so busy and it's just like lots of children and teenagers writing to each other. And then as the book goes on, and it's 800 pages long, but very much like a dippy book like you just go in and out and like find highly recommended edited by Charlotte Mosley an amazing Christmas present and Mosley but you know you can't women in your life. the sins of the father etc um, it's such a good book but one of the things about it is that they slowly die and at the very end you just have the, the, the last two which is Deborah uh, Debo and Diana um, just writing to each other and, they're, and there's kind of notes and there's like oh yeah I went for lunch with who guy today or whatever but most of it is kind of their regrets and their sadnesses and the things they've shared together that nobody else knows about I can't bear it I cannot and there's one of the last letters in the book is um, Debo writing to Diana about the period when Decca ran away and she was alone in the house it was far the worst thing that happened to me I was 16 and young for my age and very easily upset and the whole drawn out horror of it the wondering what on earth had happened to her, and then the cutting off with a knife seemed unbelievable. There was a song of Harry Roy's, who we were all in love with, which went, Somebody stole my gal, somebody stole my pal, somebody came and took her away, she didn't even say that she was leaving. Gal changed to hen, and there it was, the whole story, often sung long after. She was in Esmond's thrall, and remained so till he died. I couldn't bear him, he had that effect, you either adored or hated. His death must have nearly killed her. Oh, poor hen. I don't think she ever saw Fav again. Or did she once? I don't know. My goodness, how it all comes back. Decker softened and softened as the years went by. Her letters show that. Not unusual. Do you remember when the wife and Fav eventually met, and she said something about expecting someone fierce, and he said, All the savagery has gone out of me. <laughs> Much love. Debo. Just for the listeners at home, we are both crying. <laughs> it's so awful and so beautiful. Car, my sister, never leave me. <laughs> never leave me. No, it's just this thing of like, imagine the thing. Like, sorry. It's just the things that Debo has gone through. Like, she's lost children. She's like so many of her. Like, she's at that age where so many people she knows have died. And, like, she's still, like, the most dramatic thing has happened to her is when her best friend left her and the, her best friend didn't even think that she was her best friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's... And then, and then even then, she'd be like, I hated her husband, but it must have been so horrible for her when, she died, when he died. I think what's so profoundly moving about the Mitford's letters between six sisters, this collection, which is beautifully edited, you know, of all the letters there must have been to whittle them down yeah. to this... Is Thousands, you, I imagine. Is yeah. that you see a you see you see six lives, but essentially you see this whole world disappearing and dwindling to just being 
eventually just Diana and Debo, and then just Debo by herself, which is wait for me. I mean, the thing is, I think it's easiest to understand wait for me as an extended letter to sisters who aren't there anymore. Oh, God. I didn't even realise that. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about kind of Debo's writing, is that... Yeah. She was a person who never thought of herself as a writer, never thought of herself as a creative person, and she thought of herself as a person who liked hunting and uh, being very rich. Country woman. Country woman who liked her hens and horses and her husband and her babies and having a nice time wearing lots of diamonds. But she actually wrote these thousands and thousands of letters a day. Well, not thousands a day, but you know what I mean, but thousands of letters. And you kind of see in real time what it is to have a life and what it is to love people and to have those people be complex and to do terrible things but also to do redemptive things and to do things where you love them but you know it's inexcusable and for many tragic things to happen to you because that is life. You know, you can kind of look at the myth and think, oh my God, a lot of things happen to them but actually things are happening to people all the time you know, a friend dies or someone you love dies or doesn't go quite to plan or you have to leave or things. They just keep happening. (laughs) They keep happening until you're the only one left if you're the lucky one. Yeah. And I have talked to you, Car, and also to our friend Tash a lot about how specificity is the key to comedy. And Mm. how things are funny when they're very, very specific. Mm. Because it allows you to... When things are very specific and very peculiar to one person, it allows you to kind of draw it out to be like, and I know something like this. Mm. The specificity of the Mitfords allows me to kind of map on my own life. Mm. And I think that is why they have such an emotional resonance. And, you know, they're funny and they're tender and they're sad and they're charming... But there is something more than that. There's something indif... Like, I can't quite put my finger on what it is mm. that is so completely captivating, except that, without wanting to sound too pretentious, in these mad, politically insane aristocrats, there is something of what it is to be human and what it mm. is to be alive. Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! <laughs> I don't know. And no, but I also think that, like, you're, de- you're totally right, and because... I think it's because everybody, every, like nobody's um, a hero or a villain. Everybody is a, a 3D person with, you know, shades and shadows and whatever. And because so much material of these women exists and so much material of them exists of them reflecting on one another, you get the sense in a way that you don't get with so many other women who have lived and died. Um, a sense of their complete 3Dness. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I think... This is it's not the nice stories for rebel girls, do you know what I mean? It is, yeah, and it's particularly relevant because they are women, and so often women in the past are helpmeets or rebels. Mm. There's not really... There are limited narratives about women who do evil things but are also interesting and complex and do them for interesting, weird reasons, you know? Let's be clear, it, it feels in these books like Diana becomes a fascist because she falls in love. Mm. And, you know, I feel like she would be very angry with me for saying that. I feel like she'd be like, no, I believed in the cause. But when you read the letters, yeah, it seems like she met someone, yeah. fell in love and was like, I, I go where you go. Yeah. And Which also is... grew up in this weird way of like, 
Nothing is no, real. No backsies as well, you know? No backsies, but also nothing is real. There's a bit in Wait For Me, Debo's book, where she's talking about Harold Macmillan and holding, like, walking arm in arm with a member of the opposition. Mm. So, like, Conservatives and Labour just being like, oh, we're, you know, we're fighting on the court, but off the... Yeah. Once we're out of the chamber, we're dear, dear friends. Which I think is a huge part of the problem with our political establishment today. But I guess what I mean is hypocrisy is built into being a person. Mm. And I wonder whether... It's really hard to talk about this, isn't it? Given that this is going to come out after the election. <laughs> Honestly, I had, I had no consensus when we got when we did this that we would end up being so political, but now it seems unavoidable. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the Christmas things. I wanted to talk about the fact that Fanny's parents, Fanny's dad sends her a small carriage <laughs> and a pony <laughs> as a Christmas present. And she's just like, hey, he's good at Christmas gifts. <laughs> if someone sent me a carriage with a pony to pull it. Why don't I have a pony yet? 27 Christmases. This is going to be my 28th Christmas. I never want a pony under the tree. It's awful. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that and I wanted to talk about like sisterhood and excitement and, you know, the Christmas pudding and... Oh, every, every time. But... Every, actually, every, every time. time. But actually, that was mad because all of the Mitford's books are sad. They are. Pursuit of Love ends with a horrible death. Pursuit of Love ends with a sudden... Inexplicable uh, death. Inexplicable death of the character you've grown to love the most. Yeah. And everyone's just like, when she is just happy and in love. Oh my God. Okay, so let's close out the podcast. Who wants to read the last... Me. I knew it would be you. You've done The that. last paragraph of The Pursuit of Love. The bolter came to see me while I was still in the Oxford nursing home where my baby had been born and where Linda had died. Poor Linda, she said, with feeling. Poor little thing. But Fanny, don't you think perhaps it's just as well? The lives of women like Linda and me are not so much fun when one begins to grow older. I did not want to hurt my mother's feelings by protesting that Linda was not that sort of woman. But I think she would have been happy with Fabrice, I said. He was the great love of her life, you know. Oh, darling, said my mother, sadly. One always thinks that. <laughs> every, every time. These are such happy books and I just, maybe it's the wine, I just want to have the most cathartic cry. I don't think they are happy books. Well, they're funny, which I suppose isn't the same thing. No, I don't think they're happy. I think there's a deep sense of... They're joyful, but they're not happy. There's lots of flashes of extreme joy. Hmm. But that's the Radlers. Yeah. The thing about joy and deep despair, but also them both existing at the same time, these moments of, like, lovely joy. But also, every, every time. And I believe that with all of them, I believe that Unity thought that going off to Hitler would be the good thing. Yeah, and the shooting yourself in the head would, would be, be the, the good, good thing. thing. Every, every time... People, all people, act because they think they're doing the right thing. And I... Yeah, no one's rubbing their hands together. You know what I mean? That, and that's what's most terrifying of all, of all. You know what I mean? Particularly 
in this world where it seems like the bad people always win or a lot yeah. of the time they win they don't th- it's that peep show sketch Hans are we the baddies <laughs> like no one thinks they're the baddies every yeah. every time you think it's going to be alright and you know what sometimes it is <laughs> Which is why I'm glad Labour won the election. <laughs> no, 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 no. So don't wake up. Okay, this is... Uh, this has been a very depressing podcast. Well, I've loved it, actually. I hope so... that it doesn't make people too sad on Christmas Day when they're escaping <laughs> their own families, expressing their own fascist views. And I would like to stress now that no one in my family expresses fascist views, and I have to say it's because they all listen to the podcast, and I don't want to have a fight on Boxing Day where everyone's like, well, we listened to your podcast, and you said we were fascists. You're not. I love no, you. Happy lovely. Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, Merry Christmas, the descendants of the Mitfords, one of which, Max Mosley, is responsible for the downfall of the news of the world, which I think is great. <laughs> can only be. Good can news. only be a good thing. Yeah. Um, Merry Christmas to all Sentimental Garbage listeners who have listened to quite a few conversations of ours this year and have put up with, put up with let's face it, quite a lot from the dog. <laughs> We've all put up with a lot from the dog. Oh god, I'm full of Prosecco, I might cry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go watch a Christmas movie. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. Can we put a blanket on and maybe put some fairy lights? Yes! Love you! Okay, love you, everybody. Merry Christmas, happy new year. Bye! This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C Z A R O L I N E. Or email me by the podcast at zaralineodonahue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and ACAST for the recording space. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.